to be honest, I think the second one is just a work ethic. I think you can't survive in those type of environments if you don't have a certain level of work ethic. And so I think my training in those environments has served me well, particularly in the last couple of months where there's been a lot of work to get done in a relatively short time frame. I think work ethic and the ability to just put in the hours that are needed to get something like this off the ground are the two big takeaways. Welcome to a new season of Start Right Here, where I talk to Bike Park Beauty Pros about breaking into beauty, standing out, and defining success for themselves. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett, and I'm OG Beauty Director turned consultant, but I'm also a dot connector who links others with people, ideas, and information. And I do this show because I am an advocate for creating an equitable, inclusive beauty industry. And this show is one way to bring you the information if you want to take a seat at the table or build one of your own. Let's get started with the show. Hi, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about finding your niche in beauty, finding that white space that brings new products to the marketplace and looking at things in a new way. And I am really pleased to welcome Yasmin Zanib, who is the founder of Abi Ame. And we're going to talk about her journey to beauty entrepreneurship and how she found the niche that she works in currently. Welcome, Yasmin. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. In the season three, I've started asking this question to start out. So where did you grow up and how did it shape your ideas about beauty? I am Jordanian-Palestinian. So my father is Jordanian and my mother is Palestinian. I was born in Jordan and I grew up in Australia. A lot of cultural influences. Absolutely. And I think both of those countries and cultures have really impacted my view on self-care and skincare within that category. So. My mother and my grandma really instilled in me from a young age because it's very rooted in Jordanian and Palestinian heritage, this idea of self-care and taking care of yourself from head to toe, really. And so I fell in love with skincare from a really young age just because that was an experience that I always shared with my mother and my grandma, particularly my grandma. I have a lot of memories of her early on teaching me body care specifically. And I think she obviously taught my mom and those kind of practices have been passed down in the women of my family. I have like vivid memories of my mom, like making this concoction of oils that she would put on her body on a daily basis. And so self-care as a practice was ingrained in me from a very early age and became something that I really enjoyed as an activity in a way or a subject that I bonded over with my mother and my grandma. And then of course, being from Australia, it's a very active country, a very active culture. So you get that aspect of always being outside, protecting your skin in the sun. And so it was a nice marriage of the two. I love that it was cultural and then also environmental, the influences that impacted your ideas around beauty. So having this self-care experience and stuff like that was almost part of your being, part of your heritage, part of your culture. But did you ever think, I'm going to use that in some way professionally? Absolutely not. And you know what's really interesting when I reflect on it now as part of having built ABMA, I think when something is just so inherent to the way that you live your life, you don't actually realize that it's a practice that maybe other people don't have or a point of view 
that other people don't have. So applying skincare and particular body care was just a part of my daily life, so much so that I didn't really see it as separate from my routine or just kind of my day-to-day. So the idea that that's now become something I do for work is still kind of wild. So that's interesting because all rituals don't get the same amount of, let's say, airtime. For example, we know about Chinese herbal medicine. We know about Japanese beauty. We know about K-beauty. And so learning a little bit about Jordanian, Palestinian rituals is really, really exciting to me to learn more about that. But let's talk about your career for a little bit before you got here. So what was the first job out of college? And what did you learn there that set you up for success? So my first job out of college was at a law firm. So I graduated from the law school a long time ago now, in 2014. And I started my first job as a grad in 2015. So I took a year off in the middle to travel. In Australia, we graduate from law school quite young compared to in the States. So I had an opportunity kind of take some time. And that gap comes back around in my career and is relevant. But to answer your question, it was straight out of law school into a major law firm in Australia where I practiced banking and finance law for five years in the end. So I stayed there quite a while. Where was the law firm? Were you still in Australia at that time? So I spent three years in Australia and three years in Paris at two different law firms, but in the same job. And I think that broke of experience is Again, something that you don't really realize at the time when you're in it. But in hindsight, I learned a lot about various things that have put me in a really good place now for running this business. Why did you choose Paris? Was it because of the job or because you like Paris? So in that year that I took off before I started as a grad, I came to Paris just as part of my travels. And I really loved it here, kind of fell in love with the city and decided to stay for most of that period. And at the time... The restaurant and coffee scene was really starting to evolve and benefit from globalization. And there are a lot of expats coming into the city and opening up new places. It was a really exciting time to be part of that community in Paris. And one thing led to another, long story short, in that year I started a project called Sundays in Paris where I documented my favorite places to eat and drink, especially on Sunday because back then a lot was closed. Today it still is closed, but that became a within the City Guide writing space. And I have since then written several books about Paris and other cities. But that project that I started in the middle of graduating and starting my first job kind of anchored me here and was always a reason to come back. So yeah, kind of cemented my connection to Paris and my love affair for the city. Yeah, I love the idea that you started it before starting at a law firm. Like it was a passion that turned it to something so much bigger like a blog and then a book. What do you think fueled that passion, that desire to document all of the spaces in Paris that, you know, for lack of a better word, gave you joy, you found interesting? Yeah, I'm a big kind of foodie and coffee girl at heart. And so I was looking out for these types of places for myself. And then I I think at the time I realized that there was a gap in the market, so to speak, a niche there that no one else had really catered for. And so it just took on its own life from there. And to be honest, in many ways, it's a little bit the DNA around the Sundays in Paris project that has 
replicated itself in Abiyame. It's really about spotting an opportunity in an area that I have a passion for and then putting one foot in front of the other and seeing where it takes you, which I think all great businesses kind of come from a marriage of those two things, doing something you're passionate about, a gap in the market that serves a real need that you experience yourself as a founder and as a customer. What do you think you also learned in your day job as a lawyer that helped you to build Abby MA? Two things really stick out when I think back. I think going to law school and working in those kind of top tier legal environments teaches you how to think critically. In addition to the legal skills that have obviously been very beneficial in terms of all the contract writing that I've had to do in getting the business off the ground, but I think it's a sense of critical thinking at every juncture and just a certain mindset that you bring to everything that you do. And then to be honest, I think the second one is just a work ethic. I think you can't survive in those type of environments if you don't have a certain level of work ethic. And so I think my training in those environments has served me well particularly in the last couple of months where there's been a lot of work to get done in a relatively short time frame. I think work ethic and the ability to just put in the hours that are needed to get something like this off the ground are the two big takeaways. Okay. After the Sundays in Paris book, you then wrote a book on Marrakesh. What made you do that? So my uncle's wife is Moroccan. That was another city that I was relatively connected to just in my personal capacity. And My publisher, who I wrote Sundays in Paris for, ended up taking Sundays in Paris as a bit of a blueprint and turning into a whole series. Yeah, it's super exciting. And they've had other authors contribute to that series. But in that expansion, they reached out. Marrakesh was having a moment at the time. And I mean, it's still a great city, but it was really in the spotlight. You know, we see on socials that it's a place that you have been to and go to. Would you be interested in covering it? And I'm such a yes girl. (laughs) I've always been like that. And so, That's how that came about. I love the idea of being a yes girl. So is that why you decided to say yes to entrepreneurship? Because you're a yes girl? In part, yes, 100%. And I know that a lot of other entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs feel this. But I think entrepreneurs, or at least this is my experience, I've known for a long time that I wanted to do something like this. And I think having Sundays in Paris on the side while I pursued a legal career was confirmation that I love creating things and the world is absolutely just full of opportunity and there are many ideas and many different things to do. And so it was always kind of this inherent gut feeling. This is ultimately where I would go. But I think, yes, definitely that yes girl mentality of like, okay, now's the time to take this big leap of faith definitely served me well. Now, when you were thinking about entrepreneurship, was beauty on top of mind? Was it a destination or a detour for you? It was on top of mind, but as soon as the penny dropped, I had this kind of aha moment of like, oh, wow, this area really makes sense because skincare and body care has always been an area that I've been very passionate about as a skincare junkie in my own right, just loved, still do to this day, love buying products, love educating myself about ingredients. And that was kind of when I had this light bulb moment of I was in the middle of my skincare routine for my face and realized this pretty big discrepancy in the quality of products that I was using on my face compared to the products that I was using neck down. And that was kind of the initial bread come from ABMA. And that really got me thinking critically about the space and what was missing in the space. And then to go back to your earlier question about what did that legal career benefit me, I think, again, that critical thinking mindset came into play. And I thought, okay, 
how can I go about learning more about this and validating this business idea in a very concrete and substantial way? And that's going to look different for everyone and every business. But what that meant to me was I set myself a target of speaking to 1,000 women about their self-care routines. So you did like a lean startup methodology kind of approach to this project. And I saw on your website that it was book an appointment to talk to you. Yes. What were your aha moments when talking to these women? There are a couple that really stick out. The first one was the way that I went about these conversations was I actually read this really great book called The Mum Test. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's fantastic. It's more catered to startups in the tech space, but there are a lot of really key learnings from it. And it teaches you how to ask open-ended questions to truly validate your business idea. So rather than getting a false positive, it helps you structure your conversations and your questions to get a real kind of sense. So a good example would be um, like instead of asking someone like, if I made a body care product and instead of leading someone to a certain conclusion, you try to validate your business idea by truly understanding your core customers' past behaviors to try and validate their future rather than trying to predict what they may or might not do. So that was really helpful to me. I studied that book and then kind of prepared a set of questions accordingly. But I actually didn't ask anyone about body care. I asked everybody about skincare. And only one person out of a 1,000, so 999 other women, did not include body care when answering the question, tell me about your skincare, which I found fascinating. Yeah, that's amazing. Right. And so that was a really clear indication to me that we women as a collective, or at least my pool that I was speaking to to start Abby MA, we don't think about the body and taking care of the skin on our body in the same way that we do as a face. So that was a big key takeaway in the sense of there's a lot of education to do around here because once you start talking to someone about it, they immediately start making this kind of guilty, like, ooh, yeah, face around like, I haven't put anything on my body in a long time. So it became clear that education was going to be a really big point. And the second big takeaway, and this has ultimately led to a lot of how we have developed our product development philosophy, is that unlike skincare for the face that has developed quite significantly over the last kind of five, 10 years, there hasn't been a lot of innovation in the body care space. And there are a minefield of pain points that we're experiencing in body care that haven't been solved for today because of how far behind the body care category is compared to skincare for the face. And so it was actually really exciting. I learned so much um, and I essentially walked away from the experience with a whole set of these pain points. And then I thought to myself, well, it's 2022. The skincare space for the face has evolved. There's no reason why we can't upgrade body care. So I took these pain points to my lab and we essentially started tackling them one by one with the mindset of this is the pain point, we need to create a solution. Mindset is very much at the core of our product development philosophy. That's how we have made all of our products so far and how we will always make our products with that kind of community-centric mindset. Like let's get together as a collective and understand what we need and then make it. I love that. I think that that is very true. And I think depending on ethnic cultural background, body care is more or less important. Like in many BIPOC communities, moisturization is an important thing. But 
looking at it from an ingredient standpoint may not be as important because we're using so much of it, for example. So we're using it every day and we might look at it from a cost point of view, but not innovation necessarily. So you're bringing innovation into play. So was it an ingredient first or a benefit first methodology that you employ? I think we come at it from two angles. We have these kind of two parallel philosophies. And one of them is let's treat the skin neck down like we treat the skin on our faces from an ingredient perspective. So there's no reason why all of the beautiful, nourishing, active ingredients that we use on our face can't be used on our body. It's just that no one's making them, to your point about quantity, in the size that you need to cover all that skin. So that's just inherit into how we approach formulation. So all of our formulas are powered by a set of appropriate active ingredients for whatever we're trying to solve for. And that's just kind of the base foundation of how we build product from the ground up. But then I think the extra layer that we put on top of that, which we haven't seen in the body care category today, is we have that problem solution mindset on top of that kind of foundational product development philosophy. So it's not just let's make a cream with all these great active ingredients in it. It's how can we truly understand the problems that our core customer and our community are experiencing? And then how can we create products specifically to solve those problems based on that foundation of let's upgrade the base formulas that are being used in this product so that they align with the quality of skincare that we're putting on our face? Yeah. A lot of brands, they come upon an idea, but they're necessarily solving a problem. And when they go to market, they find out that it's a nice to have and not a need. And then they have to adjust their core mission because they've decided that this is a problem, but it's not something that they've experienced, but they're guessing that the consumer needs this as opposed to asking them. Absolutely. And that's why you mentioned earlier that I have that button on the website of book in to speak to me because that dialogue with our community, and we actually call them our amis, which is the French word for friends. Because that's actually truly what this group of people are. It's not community in the traditional sense that you sometimes see that word used in the skincare space, which most of the time it means that if there's a group of people that are being used as a soundboard for product ideas, as you touched on, that the company are making in order to validate or test. But we really come at it from a different angle and where I'm constantly talking to our community RMEs on a daily basis and having that open dialogue will always be a core part of the brand. So that button that you see on the website will hopefully be there for a very long time because I enjoy it and I'm a really big believer in not creating product just to put another option on the shelf. So that's not what I personally believe in and that's not what the brand believes in. It's really about creating products to solve for needs that haven't been addressed yet. If you like what you hear, Please subscribe to the Start Right Here podcast and leave a review. Also, you can sign up for our mailing list at theberoundtable.com. So you will be on the know about all the good things coming. So what is your hero ingredient or set of ingredients? Our hero product that we're launching with this summer is Summer Skin. And that product is powered by four really beautiful active ingredients. Niacetamide, which you'll probably be familiar with 
it's you know very ingredient that's used on the face we have oat extract which is a very nourishing healing ingredient that does wonders to repair the skin barrier which is a leading cause of dehydrated skin we have vitamin b3 another really nourishing ingredient that helps repair the skin barrier and the overall kind of health of your skin and then i've left the best to last which is my personal favorite ingredient it's called saccharide isomerate and it doesn't get a lot of love no i don't know anything about that and what's wild to me is a lot of people don't I like to refer to it as hyaluronic acid's more effective but like less cool cousin. Okay. Yeah, hyaluronic acid obviously gets a lot of hype. And because us as consumers, we know it, a lot of brands will fill their product with it because it's an easier sell because we already know what it is and we're already educated on it. Whereas no one seems to know saccharide isomerate, and that's a big job that we have as a brand is to educate people on that ingredient because it's really the secret in summer skin. It binds to the skin, unlike hyaluronic acid, and it's a natural ingredient that mimics your skin's natural hydration process. So it actually boosts your skin's own production of hyaluronic acid, and it acts as both an emollient and a humectant, which is quite rare. And so it nourishes and hydrates the skin in a really effective way, and it's what makes summer skin so effective without it needing to be super thick and heavy. Right. And I want to talk about the formula for a minute because this is one of the ways that you've kind of reinvented in the category because it's either very light or very heavy. But even with the name Summer Skin, you know that it's not going to be something that's going to like be so heavy that you don't want to wear it in the summer. So talk to us a little bit about the hybrid formula and the formulation? So the formula is quite a unique formula and it was designed to solve a very specific problem that most of us experience during the summer. This was one of the key learnings that came out of those 1000 conversations. And it's that moment when you put on a dress or a skirt or shorts or a t-shirt, whatever you're wearing in the summer, most of your skin is exposed because of the temperature and you lather on whatever lotion you have available to you as you're about to walk out the door. And then because there hasn't been much innovation in the formulas in the body care category, most of them are too thick for that time of year and they start to sweat and give you that really sticky feeling throughout the day. Don't know if you've ever experienced that. Not really because my skin is drier, so it's going to absorb it more quickly, I think. So when I was talking about cultural differences, but yeah, I know a lot of people will go without because they don't want that feeling. Exactly. So that was the problem that we had in mind when we were formulating and we've come up with this blend of ingredients the four active ingredients that I mentioned all of that comes together and it's designed to hydrate the skin like a really rich nourishing cream but to feel the texture of it is a very lightweight barely there serum and the amazing thing about it is because of the ingredient profile the more often you use it the better your skin's health becomes over time because those active ingredients are so powerful People who start using it will never go back to traditional lotions because it shifts this mindset that in order to have super hydrated skin, you have to use a really thick, heavy cream. But we have innovation in the ingredient category that that's actually no longer necessary. It just hasn't trickled down to body care. Right. And I love that you call it a serum because that's exactly the way that it's acting. So those of us that use serums know how beneficial they are in that whole multispatial skincare routine, my complexion routine. So having a product 
that serum-like for the body combined with a moisturizer then gives you that same kind of amazing benefit. Absolutely. And I think for us, the serum lotion hybrid element was key because what we see a lot of brands doing is, and it's logical, releasing serums for the body because that's what we do for the face. But a traditional serum requires another product, more inclusive product to be laid over the top. Whereas what I learned and what I'm continuing to learn from this ongoing dialogue with our Amis, our community, is that we don't have time to do two steps for the body. We can barely do one step for the body. (laughs) That's very true. Right? This idea that you would need to do a serum and then a lotion on top, especially in the summer where already doing one layer is causing an issue, just doesn't work. And I think that's really what makes ABMA different from a lot of brands and products that you're seeing is that because of this really intimate dialogue that I personally as the founder have with our community, our AMIs, our customers, is that we're able to do things differently because of these learnings and because of this intimacy and investment that we get from our AMIs and our community and helping us build product that they actually need and want to use. I think that innovation is incredible. The hybrid serum lotion element. So are you working on other products now? We are. I'm very excited about our future product rollout. We like to say that ABMA makes body care that you've never seen before. And once you have it, you'll never be without it. Yes. And that spirit is really woven through our product roadmap. So if you take that product philosophy of elevating body care through innovation in the formulation so that you're treating your body for the same nourishing active ingredients that you're putting on your face, kind of one element of our product development philosophy but then the other element is that problem solution mindset and so all of our products are born from the marriage of those two philosophies so it's not a typical product line that you would typically see so it's not like serum lotion it doesn't work like that all of our products are very specifically targeting a problem that we know our amis our community experience so they're all a little quirky a lot of them don't exist today And so I'm really excited to share that we've got two to three more products planned for this year and then a lot more coming next year, all with the same spirit as Summer Skin. So something a little different. Are you launching in the US now? Yes. So we actually just launched pre-order in the US at the end of last week and it officially launches next week on the 6th of June. Yeah. That's exciting. And what other countries are you in? I know you're in France, obviously. Are you in Australia? We are not in Australia yet. So we're based in Paris as a brand and all of our product is made in France. So we're here and we'll sell in the EU as well as the US. So we're focused on those two markets at the moment. Australia would be a great one. Yeah, exactly. That's the reason I asked. And also the climate is great for a product like Summer Skin. Yeah, one step at a time, but that would be a great market to get into. What has been the biggest obstacle you had to overcome as a beauty entrepreneur? and then launching this brand? So I think as an industry outsider, I didn't come from the space. I came directly from the law into the skincare space. There are a lot of obstacles along the way of finding a lab and not just a lab, but a lab that was able to produce product at the quality that I wanted. And just the learnings, like it's been a huge process of upskilling. But the major obstacle that I found, and again, I think this is indicative of how far the industry and the category is behind skincare for the face, 
was actually packaging. Oh, interesting. Yeah. When you think about skincare, the packaging is super innovative. We have airless pumps. We have all sorts of amazing things that our skincare for the face gets packaged in that not only are super user-friendly, but are actually designed to preserve the integrity of the formula to keep it safe and stable so that the active ingredients do what they say they're going to do and things like that. Whereas to your point earlier, your body needs a lot more product. So the size of these products that we're making are way bigger than skincare for the face, but much like formulas for the face that don't exist for the body, that style of packaging doesn't exist in large format because no one was making body care like that before. I guess coming to an industry as an outsider, I think you have the benefit of a level of you're naive to a certain extent. And I think that actually in some ways becomes your superpower because if you knew how hard it was going to be, maybe you wouldn't do it. But it was just like a mind back thing for me to be like, what do you mean this package doesn't exist in three times the size? And so that was actually a huge challenge. I felt very strongly about putting our first product in an airless pump to protect the integrity of the formula. And it's also just a better type of packaging to use because it pushes all of the ingredient up with it. And you don't have that situation where you have to cut open the bottom of the bottle to get the rest out that traditionally happens with a normal pump. And so finding that in a larger size was quite difficult. No one was making it at the time. And then how many labs did you have to interview till you found the great partner for yourself? I knocked on many, many doors. Being based in France is a great thing because the French are for known for skincare. They do skincare really well. And a lot of innovation comes out of France in terms of ingredients and formulation. So I got a lot of no's, especially from the big labs that require a certain minimum order quantity. But as luck would have it, I happened to be walking down the street where I live and met a person literally in the street through a mutual friend who was from the industry. And I told her my idea, explained what I was trying to do. And her reaction was actually much like the reaction we've had from our early customers is like, yeah, that's actually really needed. And so she very kindly took me under her wing and opened a lot of doors in the lab space in France that I wouldn't otherwise have had access to. So we actually manufacture with one of the best labs in France. We typically don't work with business of our size and that's thanks to that kind of chance mode. And the kindness of a stranger who's now become a friend and is intimately involved in the brand. But, you know, I always tell people, don't be shy to talk to people about your business idea when it gets to a point where it's evolved enough because you just truly never know who you might cross on a day-to-day basis that may be able to help you. Yeah, that is very, very true. So what's the biggest joy that you've had working on this line? You know, I was just in New York getting the brand ready for launch and took one of our amis, our community members, out to breakfast. We'd never met in real life, but she was part of those initial 1,000 conversations. And she specifically talked to me about, along with many other women, about this pain point that she was experiencing in the summer, not wanting to wear lotion because... It's sticky and slimy. And so being able to kind of gift her a bottle of summer skin and thank her for her involvement in bringing that product to life, that's it for me. That's kind of what I live for in in creating the brand. That's the real joy in it. And I think that's why we'll always have that speak to me button on the website because that's actually the foundation of the brand. It's the core of who we are, the core of who we'll always be. I think that's great. And I could see you light up when you started to talk about it, because that is really what gives you joy is connecting with your consumer. And I got to say that that joy kind of filters through in your social as well. 
that it's very joyous. And I got a feeling about the brand before I even spoke to you. So that was a really great thing. Can you offer our audience some tips on, besides talking to customers, finding your niche in beauty and not being afraid to go into a category because you think it's crowded? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, beauty and skincare is a very saturated space, but I don't think that should deter anyone. If you believe that you're truly solving a problem that a solution doesn't exist for today, I think that's the key test. Because if you can truly do that, you'll cut through all the noise that exists. And so I think sometimes having that conversation with yourself can be really hard because you might feel really passionately about something, but to be able to take a step back and answer that question as objectively as you can will help you make the decision as to whether it's the right business idea, product idea, whatever it may be. And I would encourage everyone who has a business idea to go through a similar business idea or product validation process. So it might not mean that you need to speak to 1,000 women, but whatever you're able to do, whoever your core customer is. But I think reading a book like The Mum Test or educating yourself on how to ask open-ended questions that are going to give you the most accurate set of data to then base your decisions on is really important, I think, before you invest any time or money in trying to get something off the ground, particularly in the beauty and skincare space, given how noisy those categories are. I think those are really, really great tips. Now, how can our audience find the product, Abiyame? So it's currently available on abiyame.com, shipping everywhere in the US. And yeah, it's online. It's online. And then your social, how can people follow you and find the joyous feeling that I talked about on your social? They can find us on Instagram at abiyame, just one word, A-B-I-A-M-E. And I'm glad that you think it's very joyous. All the women that we feature on the page and on the website are actually Amis community members. None of those people are models. Oh, wow. I love it. Yeah. So I'm glad that filters through. And then we're Abby MA Paris on TikTok. And I am just Yasmin Zenab on TikTok. And I talk a lot about Abby MA on my personal TikTok, but I also speak a lot about French pharmacy skincare. That's also another side. We'll talk about that another day, but that's my other side passion hobby. So I'm always in the pharmacies talking about product and TikTok. What I like about our conversation is that you're like an example of using your passions and your hobbies and kind of like converting them into some concrete things that help other people, like things that you enjoy. You have that knowledge and you share it with others through books, through your TikTok do some of those things. And it's really something that we can all take note of. Well, Yasmin, I thank you so much for joining me. I just enjoyed, and I love your commitment to your customer and to solving their problems because we talk about that in Lean Startup, but lots of people talk about that to start their company, but they don't keep that as a core company value. And that seems to be what you're doing. And I really, really think that's great. Thank you so much. I'm glad that kind of is filtered through in, in the way that we're showing up as a brand. So thank you. Yes, yes, absolutely. That's our show for today. Follow Start Right Here on Instagram at start underscore right underscore here underscore podcast. And check out the Last Word newsletter for my latest musings on beauty and inclusion.